Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Haunted Estate here with your host. Yes, that is me, Selena Myers. What is this? Two episodes within the same seven days? Huh? What? Anyways, here's some quick reminders. The way to get us up in the ranks and to get us found in that search engine is to subscribe to us on what platform you are listening on. Mostly iTunes. That's where everyone really goes for most of their podcasts, according to my analytics. Um, Another thing to do is to download all our episodes. Duh. Share with your friends, of course you have, and so forth. Um, Another great thing that you could do is review the podcast on iTunes. I love reading those. Any reviews are good. Any drama is good. Any gossip is good gossip. (laughs) What a weird thing to talk about. Anyways, I love all of you tonight. We are going to be listening to a story from Jess. She actually reached out to me a very long time ago. We've been talking so much. I would consider us pretty good friends. Um, She recorded some pretty good information uh, along with it, some typed up stuff. So I'm super excited with that. So a couple updates because it is me sitting here. (laughs) Uh, Hearst went in for its safety. She needs a bit of work, but I am getting it done because it is oh so worth it. So once she's back home, maybe I'll have some pictures up by the time you hear this on the Haunted Estate Facebook page. If not, whatever. And don't forget to follow me on Snapchat. That is Selena's Life, C-E-L-I-N-A-S-L-I-F-E, and it'll pop up as boo with a little go. So click on that, follow me. It'll be a great time. I'm trying to think. I had other stuff to think of that I was going to say. I'm going to try and create some more background music. I have a very, very quiet, you might not even be able to hear it, Um, little underlying creepy sound going on, but I want to go for more of a creepy piano feel. Um, You know what? I actually like your guys' input. So if you comment on Facebook, I'll put a post out there. Let me know if you prefer silence in the background or if you prefer some creepy music or what you guys prefer because it's really the shows for you guys, the shows for me, and all of that jazz. So Super pumped about that. Some other things to talk about. This fall, a very fun thing is happening. I'm I'm sure you heard about it in the last episode. That is Fear Farm. So that is somewhere. Last year, I got to work there for the first year. It was incredible. So as you guys know, I have been to every haunt far and wide because Halloween is my life. (laughs) Um, Fear Farm was always the number one. 
They have amazing haunts. This year, they have six haunts. One amazing low price. There's Condemned Corn, Stocking Dead, Carnival, Hiller House, The Hay Ride. What's the other one I'm trying to think of? And Carnival? Did I say Carnival? Oh, good Lord. There's six of them, and it's... It's crazy. Hiller House is my absolute favorite. Carnival comes in a close second. And then classic cornfields. They are just ugh, amazing. I've been out there recently and they are just working so hard. The monsters are actually out there still. They're having a great time. They're just so excited for October to start. And I am so excited alongside them. I get to work there again this year. So make sure if you do come out to the farm, um, I am a ghoul. I will be walking around and bothering people. I'll be wearing a beautiful, giant, black and white striped dress. I'll be in awesome, ghoulish attire. And believe it or not, it's not makeup. I just kind of turn into a monster once the sun sets. So opening weekend is September 22nd. If you do want to meet me, that is going to be the best night to do it. Um, I would love to meet you guys. Take some pictures tag me tag fear farm all of that fun jazz also they're going to be sponsoring the podcast so soon calling in if you are in this area you will be able to have the chance to win free tickets to visit this attraction even if you're not from close it is definitely worth the drive down uh last year was amazingly oh it was just busy this year they have great food so much crazy stuff going up and i just I have a countdown on my phone and I'm just so excited. I cannot handle it. Halloween is life. I am Halloween. <laughs> oh God. Anyways, I love you all so much. Let's jump into today's episode. First, we are going to jump right into this story coming straight in from Jess. Thanks so much, Jess. Hi, Selena and all the listeners at the Haunted Estate. This is Jessica, but I like to go by Jess and I'm in Southern California. I've been meaning to share some of my stories. Two that I'd like to share are legends from the island of Guam, which is where my mom's side of the family is originally from. Guam is a U.S. territory, just like Puerto Rico, but it's located in the South Pacific, so it's nearer to the Philippines and Australia. Also, the native language of Guam is Chamorro. These are stories I've gotten from my grandma, and the first is the legend of the Tao Tao Mutna. That translated means ancient people. So my grandma said one evening she and her dad were sitting downstairs on the front porch and it was dark out. Her brothers were in the kitchen eating and playing dice. Her dad had heard some really loud stomps of someone walking down their street. So her dad called to her brother and told him to go fetch the lantern. As they did that, they went down to investigate to see what was making that sound and so as they looked down their street they saw a Tao Tao Motna walking down. The way my grandma describes a Tao Tao Motna is a really really big almost giant figure and these are kind of an ominous creature um, so they're not good and they're not necessarily evil but um, it'd be definitely uncomfortable and frightening to run into one. Um, they had seen the Tao Tao Motna walk down their street, but then they also saw it come back. So they definitely watched it. Um, my grandma had said that once a year, um, their priest, since most of Guam is Catholic, um, their village or their town priest would take their patron saint statue, which was St. Michael, and some holy incense and would circle the entire town and bless it. Um, and they'd do that once a year so that they wouldn't see any Tao Tao Motna. The second legend that I'd like to share from Guam is about the Duhendi. 
Now my grandma describes the duhendi as small um, trickster creatures that live in the jungle. I've read that um, in order to appease the duhendi, you need to acknowledge them as you enter the jungle, and if you don't, then you'll run into them. She had said that her uncle would often um, collect coconut water, and so he would climb up a coconut tree that's like a palm tree, um, get to the top, crack open a coconut, and strap a bucket to let the coconut water drain out. Uh, one evening as he was doing this, as he was up the coconut tree waiting for the coconut water, he had seen a circle of duhendi going around the tree, chuckling, laughing, and dancing. He just had to wait for them to um, disperse, but they just went and hid in the bushes, and I'm, he climbed down and I'm sure got the heck out of the jungle. Um, she said her brother would also often see them in the evening as he would just walk around their property, but he'd see them following him in the jungle um, laughing. Um, what's interesting is that there are also a lot of other stories of small people from tons of different cultures around the world. I know that in Hawaii, they call them the Menihuni, and um, a f an old friend of my mom's who was Hawaiian had said that she had heard a story of a lady disappearing in the night, never to be seen again, and all they had seen were small footprints leading into the jungle. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I know that in Spanish, like in Mexico, they also call them duendes. Um, and it's a similar legend. Uh, and I recently heard there's also a small people legend of Iceland. So it's just really interesting that this phenomena occur a lot of different places. So... Um, I definitely do want to share more of my stories, um, but those are two that are special because they're family um, stories and they're from uh, Guam. So I'd be happy to share. Uh, I'll definitely give you some more stories and just wanted to let you know I love the podcast. I'm so glad you're back. Um, and yeah, love from Southern California. Thank you so much, Jess, for sending that in. She goes above and beyond. She sends me um, audio clips because they are definitely clearer. So if you are worried about a way to send in, there is always calling, which is our toll-free phone number, 1-866-270-3428, or emailing, which is selena at the haunted estate. You can type it up, um, anything like that, truly. So something that I want to say is just, first, I love hearing old family history stories, especially when it traces back to different places around the world and how different the, what, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like the folk tales and stuff like that is and, and the experiences. They're so different when you go into different cultures. And it really opens up like the perspective when you look into certain like religious books and, and 
things in history that have happened. And, and it's just so cool when things can live on through generations like that. But yeah, Jess, thank you so much. And please keep sending them in more. She let me know she was going to send in more. I know somewhere she had um, sent me in something about Lep or Leap Castle. I don't think I have um, put that in yet. I might be having a brain fart. It is late. I am chilling in my sloth onesie sitting in front of my computer. Next up here, I found a pretty cool article on Ranker.com. It was some violent ghost stories. So I'm going to read you some of these. The first one is called The Nameless Horror of Berkeley Square. Most people think of hauntings as something ghosts do. But the entity haunting 50 Berkeley Square in London, England, proves it's a job for monsters too. The earliest verified account of the horror dates from the 1840s, when 20-year-old Sir Robert Warboys took up a dare to spend the night in the creepy house, which had already been the subject of scary rumors for years. He went in with a gun and a candle, and a guard stationed outside just in case. He never came out alive. Late in the night, the guard heard sounds of a struggle, followed by a gunshot. When he got to Warby's room on the second floor, he found the man had died of fright. A second, better documented incident occurred a few decades, decades later in 1887. This time, two sailors, Edward London and Robert Martin, found themselves without a place to stay on Christmas Eve, and so decided to crash in the empty house on Berkeley Street. Martin was able to get to sleep, but was awakened in the night by the sound of London fighting something. Martin saw a scene that caused him to flee the building in terror. Blunden was being strangled by a brown, formless shape that had tendrils, one of which it was using to strangle Blunden. These tentacle-like appendages have led to some suspect that the entity is not a ghost, but a semi-aquatic predatory cryptide phenomenon that is coming up from the London sewer system. Martin ran from the house and returned with a police officer, only to find that Blunden had been thrown from the second story of the house and is crushed on the street below. In another version of the story, Blunden's mangled body was found in the basement at the foot of the stairs. The house is still there today and hosts an antiqu and hosts a antiquarian bookshop on the first floor. By police order, no employee or customer of the store is allowed to explore the building's upper floors, though they do report strange noises that come from that part of the house. It's probably for the best, since the creature, or whatever it is that lives upstairs, has already claimed at least two lives. The next story is The Haunting of Maria Jose Ferreira. Maria Jose Ferreira was just 11 years old when she became the target of an incredibly vicious poltergeist, and she didn't survive the ordeal. It happened in Japotzcabal, Brazil in 1965. The angry spirit manifested stones and bricks out of nowhere and targeted little Maria with various physical assaults, including scratches, slaps, and bites, leaving her constantly bruised. A visit by an exorcist did little to help. In fact, it seemed to have provoked the spirit even further, to the point that it was setting Maria on fire in public places in full view of many witnesses unconnected to the case. A visit to a spirit medium revealed the source of the poltergeist animosity. 
Maria had apparently been an evil witch in a previous life and was now being tormented by the spirits of people that her previous incarnation had been sent to deaths by her and her black magic. The medium beseeched the spirits to leave the innocent girl alone, but to no avail. Maria returned home and continued to be tormented till she sadly took her own life with pesticides. After her death, the manifestations stopped. The Bell Witch. I think we've talked about this one before, but it's always fun to go over them. These aren't too long of blurbs. <laughs> the legend of the Bell Witch has been described as America's greatest ghost story, and some versions of the tale even involve a future U.S. president. This last bit is likely to be an embellishment, but some claims about the story are known for certain. In the early 1800s, the Bell family settled in what would one day be Adams, Tennessee, near the Red River. John Bell and his wife Lucy had three children, Elizabeth Betsy, who was born in 1806, Richard, 1811, and Joel, 1813. They also apparently had a very powerful spiritual enemy. Beginning in 1817, John and his daughter Betsy became targets of violent attacks by an invisible entity that eventually began speaking to them. Kate, as the spirit had come to be called, would slap, bite, scratch, and otherwise assault everyone in the family from time to time, but seemed to hold a special love towards Betsy and John. Before long, the spirit's manifestations became accompanied by curses, one of which supposedly killed John Bell in 1820. The Bell Witch legend was so famous in its own time that the family's quest for help is said to have reached the ears of a future U.S. president, Andrew Jackson, who came to visit the home with his men, armed with silver bullets to protect themselves. But like all others who tried to help the Bells, they were driven away by the vengeful spirit Eventually, Kate gave up her vendetta against the Bells, and it's said to have retreated into a cave on their old property, where the hauntings and bizarre occurrences continue to be reported to this day. Elisa Lom in the Cecil Hotel. This one um, is really intriguing if you've ever watched the video also i want to say that this uh, ranker.com make sure to check it out it will be in the newest blog post on the hauntedestate.com it'll just be a link there for you to be able to click on it'll bring you right to this article the video is actually here of elisa lam so um yeah the blog post i haven't posted one in a year all i do there is really just the links from the episodes it might just be called episode links you'll be able to see there not the title of the episode and the corresponding links but let's jump into this it is one of the creepiest unsolved mysteries in la but the death of elisa lam at the cecil hotel wasn't the first time this building had been associated with strange deaths Indeed, the hotel has a long legacy of murder and the macabre, which is one reason it became the inspiration for the American Horror Story Hotel. Elisa Lam's case is exceedingly hair-raising, even to skeptics. Security camera footage shows she spent almost four minutes in an elevator, alternatively talking to and trying to hide from someone who isn't there or maybe just invisible. 
all the while the elevator doors don't close, staying open much longer than they're designed to. She then leaves the elevator and presumably goes to her room. They have a mistake here, and I almost said doom. It says goes to her doom, but it was her room. Oh, I guess it is doom. Don't listen to me. (laughs) She was reported missing shortly afterwards, and eventually her body was discovered in the hotel's rooftop water tanks after the hotel's residents complained about the water's taste and color. There's no plausible way Elisa could have gained easy access to the water tanks, and despite the fact that the coroner ruled her death an accident, it sparked numerous conspiracy theories, one of them being that she was either possessed by or trying to evade one of the spirits who haunts Cecil. Elisa is only the latest in a long series of strange deaths and macabre incidents at the Cecil, Almost from the beginning of the building's history, it has attracted violence and tragedy. In recent times, the Cecil Hotel was home to two serial killers, Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and later his admirer and copycat, Jack Underwager, Unterweger. And it is said that the Cecil Hotel is the last place Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia, was seen alive. So it's not a stretch to think the place might have some spirits lingering about who are not too friendly. Next one is the South Shields Poltergeist. The South Shields Poltergeist is a recent case of spiritual harassment and assault where the entity seemed to have a fetish for toys, specifically the toys belonging to a three-year-old boy, which the spirit used to terrorize the boy's parents. It started like a pretty standard haunting. In December 2005, Mark and Marine, Marianne, sorry, Mark and Marianne, a couple living with their young son Robert in South Shields, England, began to notice strange things happening in their house. Furniture moved by itself. Doors opened and closed of their own accord. Chairs would be found stacked in bizarre configurations. Then it got nasty. One evening, when they were in bed together, Marianne got hit on the back of the head with one of their son's toys. But Mark was beside her, and there was no one else in the room. The couple then tried to fight off an invisible entity that tried to steal their blanket. The encounter ended when Mark felt a searing pain on his back, and thirteen red scratches appeared on his skin. That's when the poltergeist toy fetish fully manifested. It left a rocking horse hanging from a ceiling fan. Mark and Marianne found a stuffed rabbit sitting in a toy chair at the top of the stairs with a box cutter in its lap. Malicious messages began to appear on their son's doodle board and even their cell phones, always from untraceable sources, saying things like, go die or you're dead. Sometimes, young Robert would go missing for long periods of time, only to be discovered hiding in strange places of the house, like closets and cupboards. Paranormal investigators were called in who claimed to witness several incidents themselves, 
and even to have seen the entity manifest. They described it as a midnight black, three-dimensional silhouette that radiated sheer evil. And then, as abruptly as it had begun, the haunting stopped. Thus far, nothing further has been heard from Mark and Marianne, or the house where they lived. The Black Monk of Pontefrac? Pontefrac? We'll try that. I know I'm going to have to say this one. This one's going to hurt for me to say, but I'll try. Yorkshire, England, 1966. The Pritchard family was expecting trouble. And at first, the haunting seemed fairly innocent. Innocent. (laughs) Strange noises. Now and then, an occasional chair would be moved around. That sort of thing. But sometime around August of that year, the entity went to work at their home at 30 East Drive on the Checkerfield estate described to ramp up the horror. Like many poltergeists, the thing focused for a great deal of attention on the children. In this case, the Pritchard's daughter, Diane. She was thrown from her bed at one point, dragged up the stairs by her neck, leaving welts and bruises in the form of a handprint. The entity began to manifest itself visually in the form of a dark-robed figure that hovered at the feet of the family members' beds. And then, also like many poltergeist cases before it, the haunting stopped abruptly, never to resume. Years after the events, a paranormal investigator discovered that the Pritchard's house lay on the former grounds of a medieval rectory, and across the street from Old Gallows, where many people have been sent to their deaths over the centuries. Among those hanged there in the past was a Cluniac monk who had been convicted of raping and murdering a young girl, not much older than Diane had been at the time of the haunting. Based on this information and the entity's description, it was concluded that the haunting of the Pritchards was carried out by this monk's angry ghost, who lost interest in Diane after she became too old, for his sick desires. The black monk now had a monkier, <laughs> what does that mean? And went down in the record books as one of Europe's most violent hauntings. The Great Amherst Mystery. The case of Esther Cox and her virtual posse of abusive ghosts is one of the most famous haunting accounts in all of ghost lore. It centered around Cox and her home in Amherst, Nova Scotia, Canada. Beginning in 1878, it seems to have been triggered by Esther surviving a sexual assault by a male friend. This, understandably, left Cox in great emotional distress, and there may have been a connection between that and the events that followed. There were knockings, bangings in the night, and Esther's body began to swell as she alternated between high fevers and periods of very low body temperature. Then, objects in the house began to fly around. The doctor who was called in to help Cox witnessed her bedclothes being moved, heard scratching noises from an undetermined source, and saw the words, Esther Cox, you are mine to kill, appear on the wall at the head of her bed. Esther tried moving to other houses, but whatever foul entities haunted her followed along. Among their tactics was the setting of small fires, one of which burned down Cox's host farmhouse and resulted in her serving jail time for arson. 
It would have been easy to chalk this all up to mischief on her part, but the problem is that multiple credible witnesses saw several of the events happen while Esther was under very close observation. Eventually, attempts to communicate with the spirits through seances and spirit rapping revealed that there were at least five different ghosts following Cox around for unknown reasons. The phenomenon died down after Esther's jail sentence in 1879 and eventually ceased altogether. Esther Cox went on to marry twice and have sons from each marriage, and whatever had plagued her had seemed to be satisfied with the damage it had already done. The Ghosts of Greyfriars Cemetery Lord Advocate Sir George Mackenzie, known to his victims as Bildy Mackenzie, was a vicious war criminal and torturer in the service of the King Charles II. He imprisoned and tormented thousands of Presbyterians in Scotland during the King's attempts to unify the country under one state religion. He carried out his grisly work at Greyfriars Kirkyard, a small cemetery of the Greyfriars Kirk Parish, owned by the Church of Scotland. Hundreds of his victims were buried there, and, ironically, so was Mackenzie himself when he died in 1691. He stayed buried until the 20th century, too. But then, one night in 1998, a homeless man seeking shelter disturbed Mackenzie's mausoleum and unleashed one of Great Britain's most well-known poltergeists. The homeless man himself fell through a hole in the floor of Mackenzie's tomb into a forgotten chamber that housed the remains of plague victims. This sent him screaming into the night, never to be heard from again. The next day, a woman, looking through the front gates of the cemetery, was blasted back off its steps by a cold force. Shortly thereafter, another woman was found unconscious near the tomb, with bruising on her neck, indicating that someone or something had tried to strangle her. Since then, there have been 500 reports of ghostly attacks near Mackenzie's tomb, including burns, skin gouges around the neck and abdomen, unexplained bruises, broken fingers, punches, kicks, pulled hair, strange smells, sounds, weird floor knocks. Many had witnessed multiple witnesses. Some people even claimed that the ghost had followed them back to a home or a hotel to continue its torments. The only person who ever tried to exercise the relentless spirit from the cemetery failed, and was found dead a few days later. To this day, the ghost, presumed to be that of Bill D. Mackenzie himself, reigns supreme in the area and shows no signs of either leaving or getting any nicer. The Coventry Dog Killer. In 2001, a family in Coventry, England, uploaded a video that showed a closet door opening and a chair moving about the room with no apparent assistance from the living. The family's mother, Linda Manning, claimed the ghost responsible had also killed the family's dog by pushing the poor thing down the stairs. Desperate for help, the Mannings called in famed medium Derek Acora, who claimed the poltergeist was an angry spirit named Jim. After conducting a spiritual cleansing of the home, Acora and the Mannings were happy to report that all the poltergeist activity had ceased. You think this case is as bad as some of the others, but think of the dog. 
Nobody likes a bully, and entities who go after kids and animals are the lowest of the lows, whether living or otherwise. So guys, that is the complete episode for tonight. I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Please don't forget to subscribe to The Haunted Estate on YouTube, share it with your friends, send me a story, call the toll-free phone number, and leave us a story. That's 1-877-260-3428. I'm pretty sure that's it. If it's not, it's on the website. Or feel free to email me your story at selena at thehauntedestate.com. And don't forget, if there's any topics that you want me to cover, make sure to let me know. Send me an email. There's a direct link from the website. I love you guys so much. Thanks for popping by. And, uh, Sleep tight. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish, or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.